Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. This episode was kindly supported by eTax Accountants, Australia's favourite online tax agent. eTax is a company that I've personally used for the last few years to complete my tax returns online with live assistance from qualified accountants and definitely no chatbots in sight. Some of their unique features include a live tax refund calculator and deduction tips based on your job to help boost your tax return. So sort out your taxes today by heading to etax.com.au. Hi Jodie, thanks so much for joining us on the How To Money podcast today. Good morning, Kate. How are you? Doing very well. It looks like it's a little bit of sun out there, so it's a little bit better than yesterday's rainy weather. It sure is. Now, before we get started, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and your role at Russell Investments as the Managing Director. Sure. So I lead the Australian business for Russell Investments. We're a global investment management company based in Seattle. Here in Australia, we have a range of different clients ranging from large institutions through to mum and dad investors. And I lead the team that looks after all of our clients. Fantastic. So one of the big questions I wanted to ask is what is actually the role of a financial advisor? Because a lot of young people do ask, well, what can a financial advisor do for me? And so that's definitely one thing that I'd love to explore a little bit further. Sure. The role of a financial advisor is to get a very comprehensive understanding of a client's circumstances. And when I say circumstances, I mean the financial circumstances, their life circumstances, what financial security means to them. And the advisor needs to ask the right questions in the right way to really get to the bottom of these topics, understand what their client is after in a really detailed way. Then the advisor can recommend different strategies to meet their client's goals. This can be insurance strategies, things around aged care, which won't be such an issue for your audience, but certainly as they get older in investment products to meet their financial security goals. Once all of that's done, the advisor then needs to check in regularly with their client to make sure nothing's changed from the client's perspective, as well as to keep the client updated on how they're progressing towards their goals. Okay. So it's much more focused around goals rather than just do this with your money. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really important that an advisor has a really comprehensive understanding of what it is, you know, what financial security means for you, what your goals in life are, and then is thinking about how to help you get there faster. Mm, Because I often think the perception of financial advisors is you just go to them and they just tell you do X, Y, and Z, and then you leave. You don't really think about it as that holistic service. I mean, the best financial advisors certainly provide a holistic service. And that is where financial advice can really come into its own And staying in touch with a client, it's very unusual that someone gets one-off financial advice. It's much more an ongoing relationship like you might have with your GP where they understand you're trying to reduce stress or lose weight or do something to improve your well-being. And you're going to see them and checking in with them from time to time or just having a general checkup. Mm. 
Yeah, we probably don't think of our finances in the same way as just getting a health checkup where it's probably important to do that. We should. And because particularly the younger you start thinking about your finances and arranging your finances, the much greater impact you can have on your financial well-being. It's not much good waking up when you're 63 and thinking I should look at my superannuation or my Mm -hmm. insurances. If you start earlier, it's much, much easier. Yeah. And another question I had was what skills and qualifications do financial advisors have to help us achieve our goals? Sure. So I think that there's a number of formal qualifications that financial advisors need to have. And then there's the informal piece. So the formal stuff is qualifications and advisors' membership of professional associations. The main thing to look for with an advisor is the financial services guide that the advisor is obliged to give you. So that tells you who the advisor represents, the fees that they charge and their qualifications. As important in my belief is the informal part. So that's having an advisor that's matched well to your style and your personality. It's a relationship that's really based on trust and feeling comfortable talking about financial issues, personal issues. So you need to make sure that from a personality perspective, there's a nice fit and a nice alignment with your advisor. Mm, And I guess it probably can be quite intimidating finding a financial advisor because you have to open up all of your sort of money, good bits and the bad bits and the ugly bits. I think it can feel a little bit overwhelming or confronting, but I think people need to keep in mind that the advisor's likely seen the things that you Mm. present with before. And, you know, the advisor is not there to judge someone on their money relationship, but to help them understand their money relationship and then improve their relationship with money. Mm, Absolutely. And I know sometimes it's like appropriate to go to a financial advisor just for a one-off scenario. So what are the different types of financial advice available? We think the best type of advice relationship, the type that delivers very comprehensive value, and we've released a value of advice report that talks about a lifelong relationship with a financial advisor, we think adds about at least 4.4% per annum to an individual's lifetime wealth. The type of advice we're referencing in the report we've put together is holistic advice, where you're thinking about all of your client circumstances and goals and providing very holistic advice. Some people, though, want single issue advice or think that advice is just about recommending an investment strategy. Mm. We would say if an advisor's focus is really narrow like that, there might be issues that are missed that are really, really important. So we think the advisor needs to have a really broad understanding of an individual's goals to even deliver investment advice and, importantly, broader wealth protection. And I can give your listeners an example, Kate. So I saw an advisor, probably first started working with an advisor about 10 years ago. And one of the things that we did was look at um, insurances for my family. And I had no particular reason to think that I needed insurance, but the advisor was holistic and thinking about all the things that could go wrong and disrupt my plans. So we put in place a range of insurances. And then about six years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was talking to my advisor and she said, remember, we have trauma insurance. Mm. I had totally forgotten because it was just part of an overall insurance package that we'd designed. And I said, well, I vaguely remember, but like, what does that mean? She said, well, you can claim on your trauma insurance and that gives you some peace of mind because you don't know how well you're going to be able to work, whether you're going to need some time off work, you know, whether you're going to need additional Mm. childcare, like. When you're facing serious illness, there are so many unknowns and just to have the peace of mind of some additional money sort of sitting there to cover every eventuality was an enormous weight off my mind. And I think most people 
will have some kind of story of that within their family or, or friend circle of, oh, such and such had this insurance and it was really important or such and such had help with getting their financial situation sorted out so that they could take care of a sick child or an aging parent or something like that. So even if your listeners think they want single issue financial advice, I think it's always worth having a chat with an advisor about your holistic circumstances because there'll be things that you haven't thought about. Mm, and the world of insurance is so complicated. I mean, I'm just... Absolutely, it is. You definitely need someone to help you wade through all of the different types and what actually you need for your own scenario. Yeah, that's absolutely true. For me, working with an advisor is, so I'm an investment professional, so I'm pretty okay with thinking Mm -hmm. about my investment strategies, but things like insurances, things like tax management, those sorts of areas, I don't have the expertise to really understand the ins and outs of everything. So working with an advisor is so helpful Mm -hmm. in those aspects where I don't have particular skill. Yeah, and I think it's always really interesting that people in the financial services industry still get help from other people in the industry in the areas that they're not experts at, essentially? I would think that most people working with financial advisors in an investment professional context are getting advice themselves for exactly that reason, Kate. Mm. And for the things that I'm talking about, like I might know about investments, but I'm not on top of superannuation tax legislation. I'm not on top of all of the insurance options. Like I really need help with that. And also I don't have time Mm. I don't want to spend my spare time getting on top of that. I've got other yeah. things far more interesting to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's best to go to the person who spends all day focusing on that one topic or area. Exactly. Yeah. And I know in your report that you published out recently, you talked about the value that a financial advisor can bring you in terms of things that you probably wouldn't think of. Yes. One of the examples was sort of that behavior side of things and how financial advisors can help investors in that, which is not something you would go to. You don't usually go to a financial advisor to get help with your behavioral approach to investing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. So I mentioned before, we think an advisor adds 4.4% per annum to an individual's lifetime wealth over a long relationship. Of that 4.4%, our estimate is at least 1.9% is related to behavioral help. So advisors can't control markets, but they can help investors manage their emotions, control their behavior, and help make more rational investment decisions. Now, behavioral economics is the study of like where traditional finance and economics meets with psychology. And advisors can use behavioral economics to have better client conversations and help clients understand their own biases, which we all have. So there are over 200 identified behaviors or behavioral biases. Yes, there are many, many, many things as humans we struggle with when it comes to investing. So things like overconfidence, you've probably seen surveys. You survey a group of people and ask if they're an above average investor and way more than 50% will say, yes, I am an above average investor. So people are overconfident. People tend to invest more in names that are familiar to them. So they might buy stocks in Australian companies that they see and engage with every Mm. day because they feel familiar, not because they're the best investment for their circumstances. It's just this sense of, I know you because I see your brand everywhere, Mm. not you're actually a good investment. (laughs) Mental accounting is another one. So even though money is fungible, a dollar is a dollar, doesn't matter where it's come from, but as humans will account for things differently. So money that, say, grandma leaves us $10,000 as an inheritance, 
we'll think about that differently and not attach the same value to if we were paid a $10,000 bonus at work. And so Mm -hmm. we'll treat that $10,000 quite differently in our head. The other one, one that's particularly impactful is herding, which we also, we like to call it FOMO, so the fear of missing (laughs) out. So this is where cryptocurrency is a really great example. Mm. So probably around Christmas, maybe the year before last, I remember every conversation I had with people that were speaking about their investment in Bitcoin and how well they were doing. And you could see that conversation influencing the other people around and people think they're missing out. So they buy in, but of course they're buying in as the market's rising. So you're buying high. And then as prices of crypto started to fall, people are selling out of that. So the worst thing you can do as an investor is buy high and sell low. But this FOMO or herding is something that people do around the world very, very reliably. So an advisor can help you understand that behavior and can counsel you that when the value of your investment is declining, it's not necessarily the right thing to do to sell and crystallize that loss. You need to have Mm. a conversation about whether it's the right thing to do and not just react to emotion. Yeah, and probably give you a bit of clarity around all the sort of spectacular media headlines that the market's crashing when it really only went down half a percent. Exactly. So I think having some wise counsel to be able to weed out some of that mania, like it sells newspapers to have markets Mm. absolutely skyrocketing or absolutely tanking. But actually, you need to be quite disciplined and think about what are your goals? Are you happy with that investment? And what's your time horizon for holding that investment? And they're all things that an advisor will help someone calmly and sensibly do. Mm, And I often tell people that the newspapers never say, oh, the market just had an average day today. It's always a sensational headline. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And also media will not talk about or often won't speak about this stock that's performing spectacularly well might not have any revenue or might not have future earnings to justify that price. It's just a fabulous story because it's gone up. So there have been some Australian technology stocks in the last year that have, have been exceptionally strong. And I think it's just because people have been buying in because they want a piece of that action. It's going up. Their friends are talking about it at a barbecue. But if you actually look at the potential, you know, when you're buying a share, you're buying a piece of future earnings of that company. And often when you look at it on those fundamental, based on the numbers, it doesn't add up. Mm. And that's another thing that advisors in your report can help with is that annual rebalancing as well. So if you are invested in technology and that just shoots the lights out and suddenly 90% of your portfolio is Aussie tech stocks Mm -hmm. and that wasn't your goal in the first place. And that's rebalancing and the advisor helping you get back on track to whatever your desired goal is. Definitely. So we think rebalancing is really important. And if what we observe is an individual left to their own devices will often not rebalance in a sensible way. So the example that you just suggested, Kate, your tech stocks have gone up. You know, humans are not inclined to sell out when something's performed really well. But if you have an advisor working with you, they'll say, when we designed your investment portfolio, it wasn't intended to look like this. We need to rebalance Mm -hmm. back to the portfolio that we've designed to meet your long-term goals. And advisors will do that at least once a year. And that keeps the portfolio in a place that's most likely to deliver to your goals over the time horizon that you've got in mind. Mm, And also keeping it sort of in line with your risk profile as well, because sometimes if the US market, for example, if you had a conservative portfolio and only a small portion in US stocks, for example, and that just skyrocketed suddenly, 
you're probably no longer in a conservative looking portfolio. That's exactly right. So one of the best things an advisor can do through the annual rebalancing process is to keep the risk profile of your portfolio right. So if you're a younger investor, you've got lots of time for markets to recover. So you might have a higher risk portfolio. If you're an older investor or you have a short time horizon that you know you need this money in five years time, say, you'll have a much more conservative portfolio. So more bonds, more cash, less shares and less property. Without rebalancing, that drifts, right? That drifts in line mm. with what's performing particularly well over a particular year. And you know, if you start with, a, say, a 50% growth portfolio and don't rebalance, in 10 years, that turns into quite a high growth portfolio in certain market mm. environments. So the investment portfolio is not doing what it said on the tin, if you like, mm. without rebalancing on a regular basis. There's another aspect that you've reminded me of, Kate, which is around the cost of getting it wrong. So this is the cost of actually designing the wrong portfolio to start with. So one of the things that we know, there's been some Deloitte research in the last year or so that shows that I think over 80% of under 35-year-olds want secure or guaranteed returns. If you just invested based on that sentiment, you'd have a very conservative portfolio. Whereas we know from an investment perspective that if you're under 35 Mm -hmm. and you're investing, say, for retirement, You've got a really long time horizon. So you have time to deal with the ups and downs of the market. So you should have a more growth-oriented portfolio, one that has more shares and more property. Getting the portfolio wrong and say a a young investor choosing, say, a 30% growth portfolio versus what we think they should have, which is, say, a 70% growth portfolio, Mm. that adds up. That The difference between those two portfolios in Australia over the last 10, 20 years has been something like 1.6% per annum. So Mm. it means a lot to get it wrong to start with. Mm. And having someone that can sit you down and sort of explain how it all works and the different risk profiles can really do a lot of good at the start of your journey. Definitely, definitely can. And getting set up right to start with is one of the most important things you can do. Mm. And if you're looking to find a financial advisor to work with, what are some of the questions you should be asking them to make sure they're the right fit for you? Okay. So advisors are required by law to act in the best interests of their client. The vast majority absolutely do. The advice industry is changing how advice is priced at the moment and it's moving to more the way you might pay your tax agent or a lawyer in terms of a dollar-based fee. So I'd ask an advisor what their fee is and what value they provide for that fee. How often will they engage with you? And are there other services they provide that might be useful in helping you achieve your goals? Yeah, absolutely. And where can you go to find a financial advisor? So I think referrals are a really, really great place to start. So I'd ask around your friends and family for recommendations. I'd suggest having an initial appointment with a couple of advisors. I said before that there are some formal qualifications that advisors need to have. The reason I'd suggest meeting with a couple is to check the relationship fit. So Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, the informal part of things is, do you feel comfortable disclosing a lot of stuff about your financial circumstances? A lot of things that people often feel a bit nervous to talk to somebody about. You need to make sure that you connect well with that advisor and that you're on the same page from a relationship behavioral perspective. So have an initial appointment with a couple, see which one fits with you. Most advisors won't charge for that initial exploratory meeting. So it is a really good idea to meet with a couple. Yeah. And you can sort of try before you buy essentially. Exactly. Exactly. My last question was, where do you see the future of financial advice heading in Australia? 
So I think the advice industry is professionalising it at the moment. So from the way fees are charged and laid out to clients to some education standards that are being introduced to the advisor community. Our research and the value of advice report that we produce shows that the value of a lifelong relationship with an advisor is far, far greater than the fees charged. And many, many people are going to need help with their finances as Mm -hmm. wealth transfers from baby boomers to Gen X and Gen Y. And all of a sudden, they come into a lot of money and need some help with this. I think we'll also see full service wealth management for clients with complex needs with technology-driven or technology-supported advice offered for more one-off needs or for clients with simple needs for now. So a lot of younger people, their circumstances aren't particularly complex. They're already getting the superannuation guarantee paid out of their salary into a super fund. They might not have a lot of spare money because they're you know, saving for a deposit for a house or they have a large mortgage that they're paying off. So they don't have super complex needs. So I think the advice industry is increasingly going to find really cost-effective, simple ways to deliver some advice with a pathway to full advice as an individual's circumstances invariably change as as you get older, closer to retirement, aging parents, kids to send to school and so on and so on. So advice practices are looking for ways to engage the next generations in a way that they want to be engaged with, which is often through technology and in a way that's really scalable. Mm, And I'm starting to see sort of different companies pop up online actually offering financial advice through an app or an online web-based service, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And if your needs are simple, that's something that you can certainly have a look at. But Mm. um, if you've got more complicated needs, I think talking to a person is always a good idea for anything complicated. Absolutely. Well, I'll definitely include a link in the show notes to that report on the value of an advisor so anyone can have a look through if they need to. Thank you. But if they wanted to find a little bit more about you and Russell, where should they go, Jodie? You can go to the russellinvestments.com forward slash AU website. We also have a LinkedIn page. I have a LinkedIn profile. People can certainly follow me, follow Russell Investments and what we do. We're often putting out interesting research about financial markets, about advice and advisors. Yeah, we're a pretty good source of very global, very comprehensive financial information. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jody, and sharing some information on what a financial advisor actually does and what sort of value they can provide. That's my pleasure, Kate. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.